Hey, this is Dewey from Pure Pleasure on Jabberjaw Media. I wanted to tell you guys about the Patreon for the show. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Club, and there's two levels. There's the $5 level and the $10 level. And all this is, guys, is to help support the show, help support the cost of putting the show out, um, you know, time spent uh, building the show, hosting costs, travel costs to do the in-person interviews that you guys like so much. Um, it all costs money. And I always try to find the best deal for sure uh, because I do have a day job as well. But having that support on the Patreon is definitely going to help bring more in-person interviews, more travel, more uh, updated uh, graphics, hosting, websites, all that stuff. So, um, And if you like the show, $5 a month or $10 a month really helps out. I know it's kind of uh, an interesting thing with the Patreon when something's already free. Uh, but it is always going to be free. But if you want to support the show a little bit more, I'd absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can pay either $5 or $10 a month. We'll try to do some special things for the patrons as well as we go. Um, but it's just a way to support the show in a different way. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. That's the most important thing I can ask for. So definitely go over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up today and join the community and help out the show. Keep it growing. And I thank you so much. Hey, this is Doc Coyle, host of the X-Man Podcast and part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. The X-Man Podcast is where I talk to professionals in the music world and other creative industries about the challenges and transitions of leaving monumental ventures. This podcast is for those passionate and driven 20 to 30-somethings at a crossroad trying to figure out what's next. Listen and subscribe at jabberjawmedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at AudibleTrial.com slash PeerPleasure. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Check it out today. Welcome, Pleasure Seekers, to the Peer Pleasure Podcast on Adobe Radio. What's up, guys? This is Dewey. We are so glad to be here today on Adobe Radio. Uh, this is the Peer Pleasure Podcast, and this is our premiere episode here on Adobe. So if you're listening on Adobe, we're really glad to have you, uh, new listeners and old listeners alike. Um, this podcast started last year and has been doing really well. We've had a lot of awesome guests, a lot of old friends, uh, some people I've not met before. Uh, But this episode today is uh, a special one to me. 
It's with Nick Reinhardt from Terra Mellos. Now, I know a lot of you have heard of Nick uh, and his work with Pedal Tips and Tricks on YouTube. Uh, you've heard his just in, insanely whacked out guitar sounds uh, and music all over the place. Uh, Terra Mellos is on Sergeant House Records and uh, a pretty amazing band. So um, with the, the new show coming out on Adobe, uh, it is going to be an hour long. So uh, anything extra will be aired on our iTunes feed, RSS feed, uh, like normal. Uh, but the Adobe uh, show you're listening to now, if it does go longer than an hour, it will be edited down to an hour. So always be sure to check up and uh, download on iTunes as well uh, for the full uh, unedited episode. Uh, the guys at Adobe are really cool and, and uh, we're able to say whatever we want. So it won't be censored, uh, but it will be edited down. So, uh, like I say, if you want to download the full version, you can always go to iTunes after the show airs and download it there. So, we are on the PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. And we are on uh, iTunes and Stitcher. So, uh, we're glad to have you listening to us on Adobe today. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the interview with Nick Reinhardt from Terra Mellos here in just a moment. Uh, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks for making the show what it is and hanging out with us every week. Um, Nick and I met uh, through the fall of Troy when I was touring with Portugal the Man. Uh, this was the So-So Gangs tour. I believe it was back in 2006. Probably the coldest tour I have ever experienced. Zach and I both came down with a horrible viral infection in our chest, uh, coughing up blood, coughing up all kinds of things. Zach actually lost his voice for almost a month. He had a little tab of paper. He'd write down what he wanted to say on it. Um, and this made it really difficult to perform on stage and to load in and out through this insane cold uh, East Coast run. Uh, it was a full U.S. tour, but the East Coast was just blanketed with snow and ice. Um, you know, and I remember staying at people's houses or in hotels and just not wanting to leave uh, worried about what the next day would bring, but we were having the funnest, if that's even a word, we were having the funnest time on that tour, uh, maybe the funnest tour we ever did. Um, had a, an amazing time and getting to know the Terra Mellis guys and uh, getting to know the Fall of Troy guys as well. The shows were sold out. It was just insane. And uh, the Terra Mellis guys were really cool because they didn't drink. Um, they didn't really do anything. They didn't party at all. Um, they had a different drummer, Vince, uh, who was also awesome. He's not with the band anymore, but um, they were just a cool group of guys, really smart, really different perspective on things. And uh, that was really special to us to have, uh, have you know, before us every night um, and inspiring watching them play. I mean, they play like no one's business and, and uh, you'll hear that here. I'll, I'll play some songs to uh, lead us into the interview and out of the interview. But uh, like I say, Nick, Nick from Terramelos uh, here on the Pure Pleasure Podcast.
Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, for those of you listening, this is Nick Reinhardt with Terramelos, well, a million different bands. Um, what were you working on yesterday? Uh, yesterday I did, um, I did an improv performance thing, a solo thing for, uh, it was the, the, um, our label and manager's, uh, owner's birthday. Her uh-huh. name's Kathy Pello and she runs Sergeant house and, yeah. you know, does a bunch of cool stuff. And so they, uh, some friends threw her a surprise birthday party at a venue, uh, here in Los Angeles. And so okay. I did like a, I did like a. It was a short, I think, actually, hold on. Let me look at my clock here. I played for 13 minutes and 16 seconds. Just solo. <laughs> I timed it. Yeah, yeah, just by <laughs> myself. But, I mean, and not that something like that is on my mind, but I hadn't done any sort of, like, free music uh-huh. for a really long time. Uh, it was all, like, a lot of, you know, structured stuff or whatever for the past few months. So to just, like, have a pedal board that was just sort of fun things and, you know, kind of like winging it i hadn't done that for a long time so that actually in a way was kind of i was thinking a lot about it even though i I prefer to not think about stuff like that i'd rather it just be kind of like completely free and Mm -hmm. free from you know thinking about how it's gonna go or whatever but i I kind of i guess was since it had been a while so that's what i did last night did you throw some pedals on your pedal board you'd never used before um let me think about it I did, and then I took those pedals off right before <laughs> I packed up the pedal board. Nice. <laughs> so I guess in that way, it was a little less of like an, a true improvisation because uh, I kind of knew a little bit about what was going to happen uh-huh. on it. You know, like I guess it's never when I do stuff like that. I guess in a way, it's never completely free, even though I like like to think it is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like before I like maybe a few hours before I at least am thinking about like how I would start it. Like, Oh, I'm going to start it with some weird blip sounds and some like kind of glitchy things that will be very non-musical. And uh-huh. that will be a way that I could start it as opposed to literally just like sitting down and grabbing a guitar and going, Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like 99.9% free, sure. but um, yeah, last night I'm trying to think I, it was, it was pretty much, Actually, you know what? There was something new I did last night. I had two loop pedals going. Okay. And like may- maybe people would that are somewhat familiar with like my pedal board or whatever would probably guess. Oh yeah, he does the thing with does he must have done two looper pedals before, but I actually not in this capacity. So that was a first for me. Interesting. Okay. I yeah, would have thought so yeah. too and I've seen a lot of your pedal board in person and and on the internet and and uh, I I thought you had multiples like I guess you maybe had multiples yeah, no. but you weren't using them for loops like the boomerangs yeah. and the DL fours and well yeah I, I mostly use um, DL fours and then I've well I have used a uh, a Digitech their like delay looper thing which uh-huh. is just like a single pedal. Um, that you can't really do much with as far as looping goes other than just recording and having it play back. Mm -hmm. But, um, I just, in the last probably three months, I purchased a couple, uh, additional DL fours, which I've never had more than one DL four because they're expensive. Yes, they are. They, they happen to crap out a lot. Mm -hmm. So, um, I actually, it was funny. I had found like a guy on Craigslist that was, selling two modded DL4s uh-huh. with uh 
you know, that is like the switch mod that makes them so they don't kind of like crap out as easily the switches. Yes. They poke and, through the actual chassis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and this guy, he was selling two and they were like, they were kind of painted up in a way that maybe looked a little similar to what mine looked like. Uh-huh. And I was like, huh, I wonder if this guy would like, you know, I wonder if he's like, that's kind of like if he painted them cause maybe he saw mine or something. Uh-huh. Not, not to say that I'm the only one that paints his pedals or whatever but it was just done up in a way that looked like it could be yeah you know so it's funny so like i i wrote him you know and we kind of went back and forth but there was no there was no obviously i'm not going to be like hey dude my name's this and i play in this band uh-huh. what's up you know <laughs> like i'm just kind of like going for it and so like i went and met him and it turned out it, like he was familiar with our band or whatever and actually he was like Turns out he was in a band that we played with, I don't know, somewhere sometime years ago. But anyways, I ended up getting two more DL4s for a good price. I think the guy even gave me – I bought both of them. He was selling uh-huh. two, and I got them both. And he gave me a good deal probably because, I don't know, maybe he knew the band or whatever it was. But yeah. point being, I got two more DL4s. So right now I have three of them. And nice. I, it's, I don't think I've ever, ever had more than one at once. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So actually last night was the first time where I was like, okay, I can, you know, looks like I have enough power supplies to power all this shit up. So, yeah. and I found the the correct adapter for the DL4, so let's just try it. <laughs> so, um, so in that way, that was actually like a first for me, like having two actual DL4s going at once as opposed to like one DL4 or a DL4 and some other type of like looping machine. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. So it was, yeah, it was cool. Have you ever looked into endorsements with Line Six? Because uh, you've got a good so, following on YouTube with your pedal videos. I mean, you think they'd be approaching you by this point? Um. So we when we went on when Terramelis went on tour with Minus the Bear uh-huh. a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, man, when was that? That was maybe between three and four years ago. Now, Dave Knutson. Well, and Jake, I guess all those dudes in the band um, use DL4s, you know. But yeah. Dave, Dave was like one of the first people to actually use it in the like the sampling way that now is like very popular. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think it was maybe the whatever. I think the the second minus the bear record. Like I had heard maybe in like 2005 or whenever the second one came out the main celoso one yeah Uh yeah and and he was the first person that i heard using it in a different way other than just looping it because like when we were a band and probably i well i guess when i toured with you we were a three-piece yep uh and i I did yep i had a deal for by that point but Mm -hmm. when um when we made our first record i didn't have one our other guitar player had one but um so Anyways, we are on tour with Minus the Bear, and, like, you know, those guys, like, obviously, he's kind of, like, one of the kings of the DL4. Yeah. Well, he he was, like, or he is the dude that used them. That, like, I think he may even use, like, he may always have two on his board, but obviously there's backups and stuff. And at one of the shows, it must have been, like, in the L.A. show or something, like, someone from Line 6 came and delivered those guys like a fresh stack of dl4s and my mouth was just watering it was insane like (laughs) holy shit in fact like they had even had one that like i think had maybe like just gone down on them or something or 
whatever. It wasn't as fresh as these ones. And they just gave it to like a fan. They're like, here, you want this? Sure. Here you go. And you know, I was like, Oh my God, that's like insane. They, yeah. th- these guys just have mountains of DL fours, which they need them because they use them a lot. Yeah. So actually, um, so Dave, and, you know, and then like we become buds and, you know, like, like each other's playing and stuff. And uh-huh. so Dave's like, Oh, let me hook you up with deal fours or, uh, with line six. So to make a long story short for about, was at least two years. I was like emailing back and forth with line six people uh-huh. and like, it was going nowhere. Like really? I think for two NAMs, which is whatever the music convention, yes. the gear convention uh-huh. thing, for for two years of damn, I would go to the booth, the Line Six booth, and just kind of like sheepishly wander in there, try and find the person that I was emailing with, and uh-huh. you know, it just it was just very circular. Like, okay, yeah, let's start an email thing going. Like, okay, well, I've been emailing you for a year, you know, and all this stuff, and I finally got to a point where it was like, um, they had a new amp out. And they're like, well, the DL4 is like a really old thing. We're still obviously like it's still being manufactured, but we we're not the, the company is not focused on the DL4 anymore. We're focused on this Bluetooth amp or whatever. Yeah. And it was like, so what do you think of that? And I was like, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to think about a Bluetooth amp. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm, <laughs> I like the amp that I play. You know, and and but I was down. I was like, man. Like, because I have one DL4 right now and like, it's not in a very great place. It might be worth it to do this, you know? And so again, long story short, it just went nowhere. You know what I mean? Like it never went anywhere, no matter how many times, like I push for it or whatever. I'm like, dude, not to be whatever, but I think like I have probably helped them sell some DL4s. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would agree. Like, I mean, I, I don't know, like, I don't know. Point being, like, I think I've, I think I've contributed to the, to them getting the, spreading the word about their pedal or whatever. Yeah. So, um, so that, I kind of eventually gave up on that. And then maybe in an email chain in like the last six months, somehow from Juan that I do the pedals uh, yeah. videos with, Somehow, maybe like, you know, I ended up on an email chain with someone from or a different person, which, uh-huh. you know, the thing with like these bigger companies that aren't like the boutiques, like Earthquaker or whoever, yeah. uh, a lot of those companies, they change. Like there's a lot of like power position changes often. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which I'm finding like now that I'm kind of like pay attention to it and talk to people from that world. And so there was someone new at line six and he seemed actually way, way cooler. And, you know, we wrote back and forth maybe once or twice, but that didn't necessarily like end up with anything concrete. Mm -hmm. And so the, the apex of this story is just, uh, in the last week, um, randomly that guy wrote me again from line six, Uh not to divulge emails or whatever, not anything secret, but it was like, he was like, Hey, we haven't spoken in a while and you know, I ran into one recently or whatever. And like, it'd be really cool to like talk some more about your DL4 usage or whatever. So point being <laughs> nice. after like years of it, 
you know, and it's just funny that you asked, like, finally, someone has gotten, like, finally reached out to me uh-huh. and said, hey, we should talk. So, um, so that was pretty cool. I was, like, definitely, like, stoked on that because I, I, that, that was one thing that I wasn't feeling too great about over the years. Like, man, I, I like, I really do love this pedal, but I'm, like, it kind of, like, is a bit of a bummer that, you know, I, they won't acknowledge me and I'm not, I don't care about that. I don't care about the reason I cared about it is because, or I get, I don't care about it, but I do. And the reason I, I did at that point was because, you know, there's people on Craigslist selling their deal fours that are modded and -hmm. painted to look just like mine. Yeah. You know, that they exist. And if you like, whatever, someone I'm constantly getting tagged in this photo or that photo, like check out my pedal board. And like, actually even just the other day, I, I had seen, um, I had painted like a pedal for Earthquaker for, um, a charity auction uh-huh. like a year ago and someone had like, whatever, like, you know, written my at name in a photo or something and was like, Hey, check it out. And I was like, Whoa, is that mine? Like, is that the one that I paint? Like, are you the one that ended up with that pedal? And they're like, no, no, I just saw the one that you did. So I did the same thing, you know, which I think is amazing. I think yeah. it's really cool, but also earth i'm very close with earthquaker and uh-huh. that was like really like fun to see whereas like line six was like oh man like i feel like i've i've contributed you know again i feel like i don't i feel like kind of embarrassed talking about it but like i feel like i've contributed maybe to the legacy of that pedal in a weird way that, you I, absolutely I'm not trying to sound, have i'm not trying to sound arrogant with that sure. and i would never think that Except for the fact that I see it, it's like constant. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, anyways, so um, it just it if nothing else, getting an email from the dude reaching out to me was really, really like nice to be acknowledged. Like, hey, it'd be cool to like chat someone. Yeah. So that's my like you know seven minute story about my <laughs> my work with uh, Line Six and them approaching me. So maybe it'll happen, and maybe I'll go through another few years of back and forth and land where I'm at. But yeah. So now, actually, I have three of them that are in working order. So it's not, you know, it's not like dire right now. Yeah. Well, awesome. And you, so you just, you just, how was the Goblin Cock tour? That was something new for you. Absolutely. Huh? Yeah. That was really good. Oh, my dog just ran out of my room to say hi. Hi, Dot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was the other thing that um, I had done that was kind of consuming, like, my musical world was, uh, I had never, well, I'd never really like played metal like that before. Uh huh. Hold on, my dog's running around. Okay, got her. So, um, so Rob Crow had asked me. I was, I was trying to remember exactly when he had asked me about it and how it had gone down. It may have been like even through a text message that was just like, "Hey, I got this goblin cock thing coming uh-huh. up. You want to do it?" And I happened to have nothing going on at that time, and like. I just love Rob Crow so much. Yeah. So was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and basically, so before that tour, uh, like for a month, I just kind of like learned how to play that, that style of guitar. It was a really weird tuning. Uh-huh. It's on weird BC rich warlocks, you know, yep. like it's, it's a really kind of like oddball thing that I had was a bit of a challenge for me. Uh-huh. And like for basically for, like almost a full month leading up to those shows, I listened to nothing else music, no other music except like this set that uh-huh. we played just so I could like 
fully understand how it all works, you know? Sure. So it was, it was great. It was really cool. Um, well, I, I guess one funny thing about it was like I had, when I had driven down to San Diego to start like practicing with Rob and he has like an arsenal of these BC rich warlocks, but they're like, they're like the $99 ones, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The ones you find on Craigslist for like $40, sure. you know? And then like he's, I mean, he probably hasn't changed the strings on some of these guitars for 10 years, you know, <laughs> when he first started the band. So like I, I had started learning the set on one of these weird old crappy warlocks and was just like, man, like, I don't think I, I can't do this, you know, or I, I can, but this is, it's not going to be fun because uh-huh. I'm going to be battling this like crappy Korean guitar wherever it was, you know, wherever it was made, I'm going to have to battle this every single night. Sure. So my thing was like, if you're cool with it, I think I'm just going to like try and like find a used one. That's a little bit better. Uh-huh. You know, it'll be the same shape. It'll be a warlock, but if, as long as you're cool with it. And of course he was, yeah. you know, like he, he didn't care. I mean, it was important that it was a warlock shape, but you know, so I, uh, actually just like in one afternoon, I just kind of like popped on Craigslist, found one and, I think it may have been in like Huntington beach went and bought it at a pawn shop. It was, I guess I think I got it for 200 bucks uh-huh. and it like had a Floyd Rose on it and it was Japanese and played really, really well. So I was stoked on that, but it was, it wasn't set up great and, you know, needed to be intonated for this weird ass tuning. Uh-huh. Um, it was maybe missing a couple pieces and like the saddles or something. So I actually went straight from the pawn shop, dropped it off at my friend Michael's house in long beach. He went through it. He had never really done like, he's a, he's a jazz master dude. And he does like a lot of guitar teching and playing and stuff. And it's like, Hey, do you think you might want to try and work on a warlock? You know? So he, he was up for the challenge. And so Uh he got it playing like amazing. And so I ended up like learning, or the rest or playing the rest of the set for whatever the last week or whatever it was on this, like actually really nice guitar. Mm-hmm. And my plan was like, you know, okay, I'll put whatever three or 400 bucks into this. And at the end of tour, I'll just sell it. And you know, that way, like I'll, I'll just sell it for what I got it for and, you know, break even on it. And actually by the end of tour, I was like, man, this guitar plays so nice and is like a pretty good, guitar for this style of stuff and sounds good and all this cool there's all these neat things about it so i actually ended up hanging on to it nice just because i was like yeah you know there there might be another point in time where i i could use a bc rich warlock you know <laughs> and also like and what i'm gonna sell it for 350 bucks and then what's that that's gonna be like mm-hmm. a third of my rent or whatever yeah like yeah, I would rather like not just piss away a cool guitar for rent and just hang on to it if I ever need it for something, you know. Sure, that's so, hilarious. But it was fun. That's that, that quote right there. <laughs> there may be another time where I need a BC War, BC Rich Warlock. I don't think has ever been said in the history right. of music. I know, but well, that is amazing. I mean, yeah, like even if I, I've always, you know, had it in the back of my mind that maybe it would be cool to do like a metal project uh-huh. in, but like done in a interesting way, you know. So like that, I've already had kind of like the wheels spinning. Like, hmm, what could I do with this BC Rich? You know, there's got to be something neat that I could do with it that would be a little less obvious than a metal band. And yeah. and Goblin Cock is not an obvious metal band either. Go- actually, like, you know, Goblin 
Cock is like a like he writes really interesting stuff. Uh huh. You know, uses cool chord progressions and a cool tuning and sings instead of screaming or or whatever. You know. Yeah. But like, if if people aren't familiar with Goblin Cock, they should definitely check it out. Don't be afraid of the name. Yeah. <laughs> the name yeah. rules, he dude. Some, yeah. He does yeah. some pretty cool stuff under that uh that moniker. Well, Terra Melos, I mean, what's didn't you tell me that means monster music roughly in. Uh... Isn't that what it I don't, what, was? It you or Nate who was telling me that? You know, I don't really remember. Like we've said so many different things over the years of what that band name means uh-huh. that I don't. That kind of doesn't mean anything okay. anymore. <laughs> I was going to say that could open the door for a metal record with yeah, the same band name. That's but, true. Oh, that's true. And just call it yeah, monster I mean, music. Like, <laughs> Basically, anytime someone like has asked us that over the years, like we've basically just lied. So <laughs> that bastard. That probably means Nate just fucking lied to my face. Yeah. So it's basically been about ten Damn years it. of lying about the band name, but at least you say it correctly. Yeah. Terramelos. Yeah. Mean, well, we spent been, uh, it's a good amount of time together, man. That was, yeah. That was yeah, so true. fun. So to clarify for the listeners, uh, the So So Gangs tour that I've talked about with. Uh, Andrew from Fall Troy and Thomas from Fall Troy was with Portugal the Man and Terramelos and Fall Troy and I think was that Demira on that tour? Yeah, I don't remember. Yep, but it was we had such a blast and all and we had never met you guys before. We also hadn't met Fall Troy and they just kept saying how good Terramelos is and we bring them out on tour whenever we can and so they did. And we watched you guys the first night, and it was like, holy shit, this is badass. And so every night we'd watch you guys, and uh, it was just fucking chaos. But it was yeah. it was calculated chaos, which was so cool, because watching you and Nate together, I mean, just the groove you guys were in, and you could just tell you knew exactly what you were doing the whole time. Even though it sounded yeah, like I remember- really, really improv-y kind of stuff. It was very, and then watching you warm up and stuff, I was like, "This is he knows exactly what he's doing." This is, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I remember those were the, like the days of like when we were having a lot of band practice. Like you know, probably let's see, what year was that? That was like two thousand two thousand seven, I think. Uh, win- winter. Uh, it was not maybe it was two thousand six. It was winter. It was cold as hell. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, I do remember that. You're right. I remember that. I remember mm. going up to Buffalo. And, like, I had never felt, like, weather that was that cold. Yes. Um, But I was going to say, that would have been, like, I think that was probably, like, the first tour we had done uh, after, like, being, becoming a Uh three-piece. So, I remember there was a lot of band practice at that time. I mean, Mm -hmm. we always, like, had a lot of band practice, but, um, like, probably four times a week. Like I would drive like a half hour up to Nathan's house uh-huh. and then we would hop in his car and drive like another 45 minutes up to Vince's house. Uh-huh. And like, you know, we're doing that basically as much as like we could fit into one week, you mm-hmm. know? So, and it was like, okay, well we lost the guitar player. How do we make this cool? I think that was, uh, well that, that tour was the one we had released the little drugs of the deer youth EP. Yep. Um, so that was like that first, like unveiling of what the band was going to sound like without four people, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I just remember that, like, like I said, we were probably doing a lot of like practicing to see, to like make it solid before, like, you know, 
instead of like, oh, let's just wing it and like go out there and like play these songs and maybe in like over the the course of the next six months they'll get nice and tight. Yeah. And, and different sounding. I think we wanted to like expedite that and just like practice as much as we could. And like probably if you go and look at those videos, I mean, like you're you're probably remembering it a little bit more tight than it was. Although I, <laughs> I mean, because I think that era of the band was like sloppy, but like ending and like on like on a dime together you know yeah. so there was like almost like oh, i don't want to like a false illusion of being really tight which we were but like maybe everyone was kind of off in their own little world of like playing notes and like doing all these weird things but like we we all could end together mm-hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. start together or like have you know like if there was a pause it was like kind of like in instinct at that point of like when to come back in or whatever you know that was definitely like a a cool like magical thing that the three of us had back then for sure sure and that was i mean and then um that was that was such a a fun tour and i remember you guys you guys hadn't toured very much before that i don't think and i remember you guys didn't party much or anything like that you guys were kind of like well we're going to go to bed and and do whatever and <laughs> and everyone was trying to get come on let's get nicked get drunk or whatever like no 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 you know and and uh i always admired that too cuz i was like man these guys can hold on to this they're going to go far <laughs> they're not going to yeah. burn out they're not going to you know cuz yeah. they were those guys were into some crazy drugs but yeah. the you guys weren't, which was awesome and totally refreshing for me because I wasn't either. Yeah. Well, it was also like, well, no one ever like really was like into that stuff or like partying or whatever. It was just sort of like a dorky adventure to go on tour. It still is, you know? And, uh, that was, that was the first U S tour that we had ever done. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I believe the fall of Troy before that had like, well, what happened was, um, we had played it like opened a parking lot with show with them in, uh, in where was the pound? Uh, Oakland, San Francisco. San Francisco is right Bay on the water area. there. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we played in a parking lot with them and you know, just, we thought each other was cool. That was also in the MySpace days oh, yeah. where you were kind of like before, like when bands were still writing each other, like, Hey, we should play together, blah, blah, blah. And I remember uh-huh. we probably had something like that going. And uh, so anyway, so we, we wrote their booking agent and, and well, you said we probably hadn't toured much, which I mean, relatively speaking, we hadn't, but we had done a lot of like DIY tours, uh-huh. you know, all, along the West coast. And maybe I think we made it out to Texas and back a few times. So we had, but we hadn't done like a full U S tour. So anyways, after like probably a couple, I don't know, maybe two years of DIY touring. Um, and we played the show the fall of Troy and we wrote their booking agent. And we're like, hey, uh, if they're if that band ever goes on tour, like we would be down to open it, you know, mm-hmm. like we just it was like a shot in the dark. We're like, hey, I guess they have a booking agent. Let's just write that guy and say that we're down to play with them, you know. And so we just sent that email off, you know, into space. And eventually that guy wrote us back and offered us a two week like two week West Coast thing that maybe went to like Utah and like. Las Vegas, there was maybe, maybe like, you know, it was like maybe 12 shows or something. Uh-huh. And it's funny too, because I remember um, the booking agent was like, yeah, we can offer you a hundred dollars, uh, you know, for the tour. Mm-hmm. And, um, or, or he, he worded it in a way where we were like, I remember like Nate wrote him back 
and specifically said, wait, do you mean $100 per show or like $100 for the whole tour? Because <laughs> at that point, we didn't know, like, whoa, like, man, we've made $100 per show, like, on occasion. Uh-huh. And we were like, holy fuck, we just got 100 bucks for this show. You know, because at that point, we were more used to just hopefully we get some money for the show mm-hmm. that 10 people came to. And if you got 30 bucks, you were stoked. Yeah. You know, so and uh, the the booking agent wrote back and he said that you should never play a show for less than $100. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, of course, it's for $100 per show. So that was that first tour we did. And then um, maybe that that probably went over well, you know, opening. We were first of three on that tour. Uh-huh. I mean, back in those days, there was a lot of tours we were first of three on. And because we were just willing to like play anything we could, you know, Mm -hmm. if a band wanted to take us out and we could play, play our music in front of people, then that's all that mattered. Even if like the music didn't necessarily make a ton of sense sometimes, which the Fall of Troy and Portugal stuff at that time did make sense. Yeah, that definitely helped like our band a lot to do those. So, yeah, by whatever, I guess that winter or whenever it was like we had gotten offered that tour to do to do a full us and that was the first time we'd ever uh done a full us tour so you know we were really prepared for it like i said with rehearsing and stuff and yeah not partying and just being like okay we're opening like it's you know it's a privilege to do this so let's just Mm -hmm. try and make this as best as we can instead of like let's get fucking drunk and uh smash it or whatever (laughs) you know we were just like trying to be really responsible about the whole thing i guess you know not spending money that was the thing we like we we slept in the van a lot i mean i I think we probably slept in the van in some of those like crazy harsh winter conditions we still sleep in our van by the way but back then and i remember because it was the thing because portugal would be like hey come share our hotel room with us sleep on the floor yeah Ball try or who, whoever you know so it was just we were we were very responsible about stuff not wanting to blow money on you know this or that just trying to play as best as we could mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. yeah that's something i really remember i remember sharing hotel hotel rooms with you guys and and that was always a blast because we always had so much fun i mean that tour i think i mean i don't know why i don't think demira ever ever fit in on that tour and so it was always like the three of us, the three bands, and then they would show up, every, you know, show up to the venue and everyone would just kind of do their thing. But I think camaraderie wise, it was more centered around uh, you guys, Fall Troy and us, as far as broing down and stuff. Everyone else seemed kind of standoffish a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, if, yeah. if I remember right. But, you know, we would always have, you know, big hotel room, you know, piles of people everywhere and especially in that cold weather because you know, we knew you guys weren't making much money. We weren't either, but right. at that time compared to now, as you know, you've played with Portugal recently, I think, right? Yeah. Close yeah. To compared to now, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, those were good times. Yeah. And, and so you guys, um, shortly after, I think we toured together, um, Vince left, right. And then you had, you got John. Um, I don't want to say shortly after. Let's see. well, man, the timeline is weird. I'm John knows probably like the exact dates, and so I'm not going to get this right. But yeah. I believe John joined our band in 2008. Okay, that's when I want to say we were because I was. I remember 
this is kind of how I, I, this is how the timeline works in my head. Mm -hmm. 2008 was also when I met Zach Hill and started playing with him. And it was, I can remember being at practice with him and talking about other drummers for my band. Yeah. Um, and I remember telling him, yeah, there's this, we were talking with this one dude in Texas and he, I think he said, Oh, is it John? Um, <laughs> I was like, whoa, yeah, do you know him? And he knew who John was because John was like a really big Zach Hill fan. Yeah. And they were already friends or something. So, and I, the Bygones record that I made with Zach, I believe, came out in 2008. Uh -huh. So it makes sense to me that John, that would have been when we first started hanging out with John because I remember actually rehearsing with Zach and him saying that. So I, I'm pretty sure it was 2008 okay. that John joined. And yeah, if that Portugal tour was 2006-ish... Yeah, because you know, and then and then Vince stuck around, and we did another EP after the Drugs That Dear Youth thing. Mm -hmm. So, I believe that's the timeline. Okay, some, some version of that, you know, like uh, 2007 ish. Vince quits. We look for a drummer for probably roughly, I don't know, like we. I think we took a year off, and so that must have been all of 2008 that we actually like didn't play, and then probably John joined around then. Mm -hmm. Started touring again in 2009, and then I think we made our next record in 2010. Okay. And then, so you got John in the band. How did that dynamic change things? Was it a smooth transition, or do you think it changed changed the band a little bit with not having Vince there? It definitely changed the band because Vince was like a jazz drummer. Uh -huh. Lots of dynamic. So if you go through like our old videos or like live stuff or even listen to the records it's way more looser feeling except uh -huh. those like i said um like when we're like uh i don't know everyone's kind of like off doing their own thing in the songs mm -hmm. but they like sort of like i don't know the parts we're playing will cross paths at times yeah within the course of the song you know and, and start to make sense mm -hmm. so there was like a lot of that with vince um like i said he was really really into like jazz music yeah and not to say that john's not into jazz music but he's not really a jazz drummer he's like a punk drummer mm -hmm. john like grew up listening to punk music and rock where vince was like probably thought punk was like icky like ew <laughs> punk this what is this you know yeah so so that like dynamic really changed and you could probably hear that in our band now. Like, yeah. We don't, it's like, let's say back then it would have been more of a challenge for Terramelos to be like this really like gut punching thing where it's like, Oh man, this is like so airtight and just like big, which is what I think we're really good at now. And mm -hmm. now it's a little harder for us to like, rein it in and be like let's play quiet i mean like john is not used to playing like quiet drums like yeah. I, if i'm being honest that's like a challenge with us right now mm -hmm. you know whereas back in the day that wasn't the challenge but the challenge was playing you know getting all the bass drums in the right position with mm -hmm. vince and like ha having the guitar lock up like I, my guitar was my guitar playing was really like solid on our first record and then our second record i was like eh, i just want to like fucking relax a bit you mm -hmm. know what i mean because mm -hmm. like when we had the original four members with the other guitar player he was just kind of like winging it a lot and i was more holding it together with the drums mm -hmm. whereas the second ep was like eh, i don't want to do that anymore i kind of want to like go for it 
Um, and so that's kind of how the band existed back then, where now it's very much together. All mm-hmm. the note, like we think about where our notes go now, you know, and stuff. So, so it's a little more, there's things that are far easier to do now and things that like, you know, maybe I miss every once in a while, but like, we're still, there's, there's nothing missing from our band right now. I think our band is like the best our band has ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have a lot of fun doing it. So it's definitely like what I look forward to the most out of all the musical things I do. But mm-hmm. definitely when we switch drummers, the band changed. Okay. You know? And, but like what we, we tried out a bunch of different dudes and there was a few guys we even settled on that pulled out that even were like, Hey, I want to do this. And like last minute, like, Nope, can't do it. So after a year of searching for a drummer, like, you know, John didn't even live in California. And at that time that's crazy. Like, yeah. You know, we weren't a band that could afford plane tickets. We did. We paid for him to come out and, mm-hmm. like, practice and try out and stuff. But, like, that was a pretty crazy thought for us to just finally decide on, okay, we're going to have a drummer that lives in Dallas, Texas, even though we live in Northern California. Yeah. So Does he still is, live there? Yeah. yeah oh, wow. Okay. Did and, you have any fucking weird, weird tryouts with that? Or, like, people that were like, whoa, this guy's trying out for us? Like... Um, well, I mean, we were, we were at that time still a pretty fairly unknown band. I mean, I guess I reckon we're kind of still a fairly unknown band, relatively speaking. But back then, it's not like we were having, it wouldn't be like Dillinger Escape Plan trying out drummers. You know, like when they try out drummers, they, I mean, there must be hundreds of guys and like, oh, Rain and Bozio tried out for them or whoever, <laughs> like name, like drummer names, yeah. you know, there was no like really interesting names, but we definitely, there was one guy, a Bay Area guy that like we practiced with, I don't know, maybe three or four times and he was way different. Like it would have, had he stayed, like actually joined the band, it would have drastically changed. Like he was not a very wild drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was sort of like a more mellow, tasteful guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went and drove to San Francisco a handful of times and played music with him. And Nate and I had the conversation like, okay, like, do we want to do this? Or would we be okay with the band having this personality, this musical personality? And we both were like, yep, I think we can do it and make mm-hmm. this cool. So, yeah, we like we decided on that. And then uh, that was one of the things like last minute, I believe. I don't even know if we ever heard from him again. It may have been the kind of thing where we just stopped hearing from him. And it was like, you know, I I get that now. Like, that's kind of a scary thing to just join two strangers and Mm -hmm. be like, all right, I'm going to go on tour and do this kind of weird band, you know. So after probably a couple of those, we had a couple guys that like were into it and then not into it. And. You know, there was lots and lots of videos and that were close, but no one like really hit it for us, you know, Mm -hmm. and actually we're like friends with a lot of those people now. Actually, there's this dude. um, I just ran into this guy in L.A. recently at the Fender like office Uh and I like I get to the Fender office just for some guitar shit and I'm like, whoa, that's Rodrigo. And he's like, hey, dude. And like. He, he has a fucking one of our like chainsaw guys tattooed on his leg. Nice. He tried out for us. He was one of the guys that tried out for us. He was from Arizona originally. So that was like super random. So like we know a lot of the guys now, like we made friends 
from people trying out to play drums in our band. But yeah, it was like, it was definitely like a weird thing to go through. And we didn't know if our band would still be a band after all that. But eventually, you know, like got in touch with this dude, John, and someone recommended him and he, you know, we kind of like made it happen and it just sort of worked out. Nice. Okay. And you guys, so you guys have been with Sergeant House the last few releases. How, how has that been for you guys? I mean, I know they have just a really great roster. We met, I, I want to say it was the tour. We were on tour, I think with Poison Well, and we, I think stayed at that house. That, wouldn't make sense. The sergeant, it was there like a lot of, I, I don't want to be, you know, put too much out there, but was there a lot, is there a lot of dogs? Yeah, yeah. There and there's like stuff there. all over the place. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we stayed yeah. there and uh, we met, what is her name? The the lady? She's Kathy. Kathy. Yeah, we met Kathy. her. She came to our show and I didn't know who she was and I still didn't know who she was until after we left and I was like, Sar- Sergeant House. Funny, I know yeah. That label, okay, and yeah, I think I, I slept in the van that night just because one person would sleep in the van to guard the gear, and so sure. I didn't actually stay in the house, but I'd been in there, and 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 then it started to make more sense that that's who we were running into. Yeah, um, but yeah, they they have a great roster. I mean, have you enjoyed being on there? And and like, is there some cool stuff that's gone on with Sergeant House that you would put out? there? Yeah, well, we're the the story with that was. Um, Probably, yeah, I guess right around 2006 is like when we basically like just kind of cold emailed her and said, hey, we're this band. Um, You work with some bands that we would like to play shows with. Mm -hmm. I think um, These Arms Are Snakes was like kind of one of the ones where like, hey, that band's really cool. Like, and you're managing them now. And we're just the same thing we had done with the booking agent when we just sent them an email like, hey we would like to play shows. We're a hardworking band that like has kind of carved out this very small thing for ourselves that we're ready to expand. Uh-huh. And so we just kind of wrote her and she would just sort of offer up advice through email. Um, you know, and like she, I think she was just observing us from, you know, arm's distance and yeah. like we were getting on tours and playing with you guys and doing stuff for a band that was just some little dorky band from, you know, Sacramento that yeah. like, didn't, we didn't have a record label. We, you know, had self-released that second EP ourselves, like literally spent $2,000 to print the vinyl and, mm-hmm. you know, get it all set up for ourselves. And so I think she was like, Whoa, that's really cool. This band is like, uh, it was maybe even been the kind of thing where it's like, they don't really seem to need me. Uh, so that's kind of a good sign that I actually could help. Them. Yeah. As opposed to being like a band that needs their hand held through fucking everything, which to this day, even being, you know, in a relationship with a, a manager and a record label, 10 years later, it's like, no, no, we know how to buy a van. Yeah. Like, we, we know how to order merch. You know what I mean? Which it's like, it's just so crazy to me now that, like, I mean, I don't know. The, it's, I, you know, it's like the classic, like, when I was your age, blah, blah, blah. But, <laughs> dude, it's crazy. Like, you don't even need to have been a band that has like toured or like, you know, cut your teeth and you could be on a fucking like awesome record label and going on like big package tours where yep. like, of course that like is frustrating to me. Cause I'm like, man, dude, like I guess it's like, it really is just different now. But for, for us, it was like more of a, a pride thing. It was like, no, nah, we like, we went through the trenches to get here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where yeah. like, there's not, I feel like 
nowadays there's not a whole lot of struggle. And actually with the struggle comes like, man, I'm on a record label and going on tour, but like, why aren't I getting big or whatever? Or why aren't I selling tons of records? I got a review on Pitchfork, Yeah, you know, where it's like, dude, that's not like, maybe a lot of things have changed, but like when it comes down to it, you still need to like fucking be a, a good like band. You yeah. know what I mean? And like be tight and know what you're doing. And I feel like all of the stuff that leads to people you know, wanting, paying 12 bucks to come see your band or whatever, like comes from the years of like, of struggling and like refining your sound and your performance and Mm -hmm. your creativity. Like we did that. I mean, obviously there's so many eras of like our band doing that. I still think we're doing that. You know, like I finally am like, okay, our band is at the point where we're at our best now, not like, oh yeah, like this cocky thing back in the day. 10 years ago, we need a manager. Like we, like when, when Kathy eventually did like quote unquote, make it official with us, which I think that's kind of how it started. It was like, you know, we're like friends and we're always like, kind of like hanging out and doing stuff with each other. Why don't we like make this official and like join my roster? And that was like an amazing thing. But even back then we weren't like, we need a fucking manager. And we would have, we would have like friends bands, even like close friends of ours. Like, Hey, you guys have a manager. Do you think like, you know, we like, we're thinking we need a manager and it's like, why, why would you need a manager? What do you need managed? You guys don't do anything. You know what I mean? Or like, have you done like two years of like relentless, like touring where you like lost money or, you know, like went through multiple vans or dealt with like idiots booking, like go, I don't know. Just, I remember, you know, like, going through like a jangly booking agent like hey i can book you guys a tour which fucking sucked and we had to cancel halfway through because the tour was so awful yeah you know like stuff like that like you got to go through all that stuff to like i don't know to make it like this important thing and to grow with it and so just nowadays it doesn't feel like anyone really has to do that there's definitely bands that do that still but it's just like a weird dynamic now you know so for us to like to make it official with you know, having a cool record label and someone that's like helping our band, AKA managing it, you know, and like, mm-hmm. and, and like telling us, no, no, that's actually a dumb idea. Don't do that. You know, do this instead. It's like, Oh yeah, we hadn't thought of that. Like it has been like a really cool thing, you know, to have someone along for the ride. And still to this day, we're very hands-on. It's not the, like, you know, like we basically exist the way we want to exist. And for the most part, like we always see eye to eye and sometimes they're like, really, you want to do that? Fuck. And then like, (laughs) we're arguing about it, but like, you know, it's never bigger picture stuff. We always land, you know, together on something where, you know, even if like it it is some far out thing we want to do or some fucked up dumb music video, that's like getting, we're going to get heat for something, you know, like (laughs) in the end, it doesn't matter. Like bigger picture stuff. Like we're not, we're the type of, I guess maybe after our last record, we realized like what, where our, our band will rest in like the history of like whatever this kind of the world that we're a part of Uh musically, you know? And it's like, you know, we're not going to be like a big band that gets like a bunch of hype or overnight buzz. We're just going to continue doing what we do. And I think people will grow with us because maybe like 
they think it's this genuine, authentic thing that we offer, you know, Mm -hmm. creatively Mm -hmm. and people like will hopefully, you know, stick with it and it'll be a nice slow burn. You know what I mean? As opposed to like overnight. Oh, fuck. Here we go, guys. Get ready. You know, it's never been that with our band. I think that's better actually for your band. I mean, the slow grow. I mean, those people are going to stick with you instead of a flash in the pan, you know, and they bail the first chance of any kind totally. of change, you know, and you guys change a lot. It's so, I mean, if you get that quick overnight success, you could be dead in the water the next record because they're like, what the fuck is this? You know? Yeah. And you said yeah. the music video, the music videos are the best people. Listen, I'm going to put a link on the website to, to the stuff, but I mean, the music videos are unreal. I love it. I love cool, it. Cool. Thanks. And I can see. I- it, I mean, knowing you guys, like, I, I, it's just it's special to me to see it because I just like I know exactly what you're thinking with this, or you know, and and uh, that's always cool to see. And like, literally, everyone is better than the next. It's so awesome. <laughs> cool. That's great to hear. But, yeah, I, I remember like, you know, so one one thing I guess uh, a specific example about just wanting to just grow in our own way and not pay attention to this or that is like, you know, we did a video for uh, the song bite off our last record. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like the very Japanese kind of crazy one with crazy colors and shit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we'd all decided to do it through the vivo network, whatever that is. I, I don't like know. The, do you know. What the YouTube with less rules or something like that. It's, well, or content. I think, I think vivo is a YouTube channel that, Maybe it's like kind of like an MTV type thing where you can like, let's say maybe you could go to a Vivo playlist or something uh-huh. and just like, ha- I don't know, like play, you could, maybe it's like a, uh, what was that? Like a Pandora type thing. Okay, Pandora like a Radio streaming deal. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I could be like so wrong about this, but like you click on a um, Modest Mouse video uh-huh. and then it just sort of like. If you like this, you'll like this. It puts it on. maybe something like that. Okay, I, I think I don't remember, but I, like when we when we did our last record, it was like okay, let's do a v, let's do the Vivo thing, and so we like that video bite went up on a Vivo channel or something, uh-huh. and you know it got like a lot of views because you you automatically reach more people through a service like that. But I remember. Um, like when it went up, it was immediately the con- the YouTube comment section was like, "Fags, what the <laughs> fuck is this? Why did I waste my fucking time with these fags?" Oh you my know, god, stuff like that. And we were like, "Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> uh, right." And uh-huh. so, like you know, now we know, like, okay, doing the Vivo thing or stuff like that that is gonna help. You know, give us exposure to bigger audiences. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know that we really fit into that sort of thing yeah. as much as a band that's not us. <laughs> oh. So that's just like sort of like, you know, one example of things where we just have considered that aren't the best thing. And, you know, it's it's nice over the years to try new things, but maybe th- now is the time where we're learning really what our band is and like i said where our place will rest and uh-huh. what what the best path for us is which is kind of just like you know we've always been the band to carve out our own path and yep. tour with this band or 
make this music video or this weird EP or whatever it is, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll just, we, we know what we're doing, I think at this point and to stay on that path is probably the smartest thing for us to do. Yeah. And you're going to, I mean, you, that integrity you're going to carry with you and, and at the end of your career, you're going to be able to say, I did exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't do anything yeah. for anyone else. And that's, that is, that's so meaningful nowadays. Cause it's just so, I mean, anybody can create content anyone can put it out there and the whole world can see it instantaneously and it's such a crazy thing to think about i mean with the podcasting like i i post this up on sunday nights like 10 or 11 at night so it's there for the morning commute just as kind of like hey you know here you go every week and the second i push that button it's available to anyone in the world with internet it's absolutely crazy and i look at the stats and i'm i mean people in korea are listening to this thing like the second I press it, and you don't you don't think about that, and but but it's that easy to get content out to everyone in the world, and well, it never was before. Right, and so yeah, no, I mean obviously, well, that's like a whole other conversation, but that is yeah. like basically one of the craziest things to be like an artist right now mm-hmm. is just so insane, and <laughs> and I mean, dude, like I give. Same thing, like, uh, sometimes I do online guitar lessons. Uh-huh. I've yeah. done, uh, like, guitar lessons with people all over the world through Skype. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, someone in Brazil? Okay. Well, that's a pretty fucked up internet connection you got there, but uh-huh. let's do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just, and actually, I guess to kind of tie that back to our band, I, since our band started, we were always tried to be very connected to, like, people that like our band because even today it's still like a humbling thing that Mm -hmm. people like our band it's like really cool that for the most part it's our career and like we make our living off of creating this thing and people like it so Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. still has not ceased to blow my mind that people pay and like support you for creating this art that's really cool and so from the very beginning it was like wanting to just, uh, uh, you know, be connected to those people. Cause it's like, man, you're doing that. Like you're my friend. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you're going to pay like 15 bucks for this vinyl or whatever. Like, dude, that's super cool. Like we should be friends, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, obviously that gets harder over the years cause whatever we, we grow up and it's maybe a little harder to stay connected, but I just, now how easy it is through social media shit and internet and you know whatever even just someone coming to your shows it like we've always been a very hands-on band and wanted to like be connected with people that like what we're doing Mm -hmm. and so now that that has become that much easier and everyone does that now even with like a twitter account it's like dude I, i could tweet fucking brad pitt you know, and I, like I might have to tweet him one thousand times, but like he might actually get back to me, and yeah. that's insane. Yeah, or, or not for me. Like I would have tweet Brad Pitt a thousand times, but like oh, you fucking I, should. I remember, for instance, like yeah, report <laughs> yeah, back to me on this. I want to see this. <laughs> now you have nothing. You're you're a clean slate right now. You have you have time to tweet Brad Pitt. Yeah, I'm gonna tweet him a thousand oh, times. If you could just tweet experiment. him sound bites, little sound bite snippets but, of like, his insane guitar. <laughs> actually, like this is like kind of a dorky one, but when I was, I don't know, like 16. Well, let's yeah, let's just a kid. Yeah. To have known that I could like contact Rivers Cuomo would have been the most <laughs> fucking crazy thing ever. 
to be like, oh my God, like, dude, I can like go, like go on the internet and say hi to Rivers and like, uh-huh. he's going to see that. I remember like, uh, I must, when did Weezer reunite? I think they reunited in 2000 and like there was a big community, like Weezer had um, a message board called the Weezer Rebel Alliance, uh-huh. which was through like Weezer.net or something. And it was like their dorky kind of like cult following, yeah. you know, that like had stuck with them through the Pinkerton years or whatever. And so um, when they reunited, like it was super happening and everyone was like, you know, there was a lot of chatter about, whoa, Weezer getting back together. And if, if you were like in the know, you knew Weezer had this guy, they're like kind of fifth member is this guy named Carl. And he did a lot of like the filming. Maybe he did sound for them. He was like their buddy that mm-hmm. hung around since like 92 or whatever, when Weezer was created. And so Carl was the dude in the band that could be gotten to like, you could see Carl walking around before the show or whatever, you know, yeah, like or back in the day you could or or like and he was the one that i think ran the website so um i remember being like okay whoa weezer's reuniting so i put together like i was gonna go see them at a uh-huh. show and uh, uh well i saw them they played warp tour then i went and saw them play in 2000 at, in sacramento at uh-huh. uh the crest theater and i brought a package i had like a little manila envelope that i just i don't know stuffed with some shit i think some stickers and maybe like my punk band's demo or whatever it was and like a letter or something just some shit you know but i was like i can if i can get this to carl if i could find carl walking around at the show like it's kind of the myth is that like oh get to carl and he's he's the one the connection with the band Uh then maybe i could get my stuff to one of my favorite bands and like one of my favorite you know whatever songwriters yeah and so i found carl at the show like, I think he was at the soundboard, like, hanging out. Maybe uh-huh. he was doing lights or something. And I found him and gave him the manila envelope full of shit, you know. And that was, like, such a special thing. I couldn't believe, like, fucking I made it happen. <laughs> and so now what I'm getting at is, like, that's the version of sending a tweet. Yeah. It's as easy as, like, at Rivers Cuomo, tweet. Hi, here's a link to my fucking art or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's like, it's so crazy. And so for, to me, to me, I always like really valued a connection to the, you know, your artist that you were really into, even though back then, I mean, you could be a part of like a fan club, yeah. but even that wasn't a guaranteed like connection to the artist, you know, but like, it was always so cool thinking like, Oh dude, how, how rad would it be if I like, could somehow be in contact with this person and now obviously that magic doesn't exist even though the contact with your like artist or someone that like you're really inspired by mm-hmm. that exists but the magic behind it doesn't exist because it's just there exactly. it's like commonplace now you yep. know it wasn't like having to go find carl at the show and like plan out your night like okay i gotta get there early and i gotta fucking google what carl looks like you know and then like i'm walking around the venue like fuck i think that might be him all right here yeah. we go actually google wouldn't have been around you would have mm-hmm. yahoo searched it back then yeah <laughs> <laughs> but so anyways i'm just getting at like i've always really valued that kind of magical connection yeah and from when we started the band to make sure that that connection was open like to people that were 
supporting us and into what we were doing, I always thought that was a really cool thing. And even to this day, we still try and do that and stay connected. And now everyone is connected to their fans. Like I said, Rivers Mm -hmm. Cuomo will fucking like respond to you. And maybe Brad Pitt, if he has a fucking Twitter, he will respond to you too. So everyone does it now, but like, it's almost like, yeah, but like we've always done it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fucking whatever. But so anyways, I just, it is cool that like everything is so connected now and you can hit upload and someone in Korea is going to be into it and they can just immediately send you a message back and be like, Hey, cool, cool podcast. Or, you know, I like this new song from Terramelos, like greetings from fucking Alaska or Antarctica or, yeah. you know, the North pole or whatever, or, you know, it's all really, really neat. And for us, that's always been a special thing that we've been into. Yeah, dude. And I tried that Twitter thing once and I, tweeting at somebody. Cause I, I started Twitter for this podcast. I'd never had it really before. I had it for myself, but I never used it. And I tweeted at Jesse Michaels, a singer for operation Ivy. And I was like, dude, Come on my podcast, blah blah blah, and then he tweeted back and said, "There you go, dude. Sorry, no more punk interviews ever. I'm done for life. But thanks for <laughs> offering." And I just said, I tweeted back at Jesse Michaels, dude. Well, at the very least, thanks for changing my life forever, which he did. And he said, "Yeah." No, and he tweeted back, "Yeah, no problem." <laughs> yeah, I mean that so, like that is crazy to be able to have that like yeah communicate with someone like that i think i took a screenshot picture of it and i was like holy shit jesse michaels just tweeted at me you know and it's hilarious to say it that way so what you need to do is you need to tweet brad pitt but what you need to say is hey i loved you in between two ferns with zach galifianakis what else have you been in because yeah that was the most hilarious (laughs) fucking episode of that show but to pretend like you have no fucking idea who he is that might get his response in one in one tweet yeah, there I you almost go. guarantee it. You'd be like, "What?" No, I have, have a, uh, I have a screenshot of fucking Henry Rollins tweeting about Terramellos a few years ago. I was just going to ask pretty- you if you'd been on his show. I I was trying to get him on the podcast, and we email back and forth every once in a while. And but he had like no days off for like six months. He's like, "I can't do it on a show day. Maybe next year." Uh, same with. Uh, uh, Ian Mackay. I think he's going to come wow. on next year. I emailed him out of the blue. Just emailed him. Like, hey, dude, love what you've done. You know, I know you do interviews all the time, but I it's a long shot. I had to ask. And he's like, dude, I'm taking a break from interviews till the first of the year. Email me after Christmas and let's do it. I was like, wow. are you fucking Amazing. kidding me? So, yeah. okay, there we go. But yeah, yeah, I remember you tweeting that out, but did he put you on the, the radio show? Uh, so, on KCRW somehow... When we put out Patagonian Rats in 2010, I think, he just got a copy of it. Uh And, like, yeah, I don't think it's the kind of thing where he, like, tweeted a whole lot about bands. Yeah. And it was just, it was so Rollins. I forget exactly what it was, but it was, like, maybe I'll, like, find it and send it to you or something. But it was super cool. It was, like, so crazy. Like, man, Henry Rollins fucking tweeted about us that's insane yeah you know like like i said he had just gotten a hold of the record somehow and and yeah i think he played it on his show cool a couple times like we knew i think at that point we had maybe met mike watt and so maybe there was like a mike watt connection there too or something and mike watt had played us on his radio show but yeah i mean so i i definitely like value the rollins tweet probably a little more than i would the brad pitt tweet but yeah the brad pitt tweet would be fucking insane well, as now well, you can so. do the you do the uh, collage software and put them together 
<laughs> Loved you in between two ferns. Yeah, Have you done always... anything else? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Or I could just like hit like Brad Pitt with like a thousand links to our music videos until he watches one. And, exactly. And then it's just like maybe his response would just finally be like, okay. A dot dot dot, and that would be enough. For <laughs> or me. just go to the next Weezer show and give a Brad Pitt envelope to Carl, and just see what yeah. happens. Blow his mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, that that could work. Dude, as well. these possibilities are endless. You should just quit playing music and do these fucked up things to people and videotape it. <laughs> You'd be the next sensation. Jeez, oh, that's like man, that sounds like a million dollar idea. Where I just like videotape me doing fucked up stuff. Just wow. give envelopes to people for different <laughs> actors to. Hey man, I hear you're Steven. No, I'm Rick. No, dude, you gotta take this envelope. This is what I need you to do. You know, there's not there's not a bomb in this envelope. Yeah. Don't worry. No I'm bomb. Drop this backpack by you and run. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Totally legit. <laughs> But like, but like the actual like craziest thing is like I do this thing where I say that there's not a bomb, but there actually is a bomb, and I just go around like killing all these celebrities. <laughs> that would be like that'd be super crazy if you actually think about it. Yeah, it would you be know? crazy if because like, I could didn't get, get way a million famous plays. if it didn't yeah, even make exactly. a million views and it failed. Yeah, that would be the weirdest fucking thing. Yeah, and then I just kind of go down as this dude who like came up with the idea on this podcast that he did where he just like starts like blowing up celebrities <laughs> with envelopes <laughs> and films it. <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah. that, that would definitely like cement the Terramelos like legacy. Like then our band might become an overnight like buzz band. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then so. the next day just be done. Yeah. Dude, we really idea. went down a rabbit hole here. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> went there. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Well, Nick, dude, it's been awesome having you on the show. I really appreciate you coming on. I know it took a little while, and I appreciate you uh, getting back to me and, and coming on. And I've had a really good time, dude. And I don't want to yeah, take yeah, up much more of your you. time. We're a little over an hour, so yeah, um, we'll we'll have to do another one down the line. We'll, yeah, dude, we'll catch up. We'll talk some envelope bombs. Fuck yeah, you know, <laughs> where talk some Terramelos music videos, talk some tweets, suppliers, you know? and. Uh, yeah <laughs> print shops cool man <laughs> well yeah well thanks so much dewey sorry it took me a sec to to get on board but yeah no happy to do all, it man. thank you hope, Nick. hope yeah thanks dewey talk to you later all right buddy take care bye all right bye all right guys well that was my first episode on adobe radio with nick reinhardt from terramelos like i say we are on purepleasurepodcast.com we are on instagram and twitter and the full version of this episode will air on iTunes uh, after this airs on Adobe. So if you're listening to this on Adobe and you want to download the version and listen to it again, you can also find the, the episode on adobe.com. Uh, but iTunes, follow our RSS feed, and you'll get everything you need to know from there. Uh, you'll get all the uh, alerts and messages when new episodes come up. And definitely check out the other shows on Adobe. There's some cool stuff on here. Some other Jabberjaw shows uh, like Break It Down with Matt Carter, and the Mike Carrera Hour. Um, but once again, thanks again for listening to the show. Really glad to have you. We hope to hear you back here every week on Sundays at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern. So we'll see you soon, and thanks for listening.
Hey, this is Doc Coyle, host of the X-Man Podcast and part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. The X-Man Podcast is where I talk to professionals in the music world and other creative industries about the challenges and transitions of leaving monumental ventures. This podcast is for those passionate and driven 20 to 30-somethings at a crossroad trying to figure out what's next. Listen and subscribe at jabberjawmedia.com.